This is Kevin Lavelle, and you're listening to Founders 15. You know what the world needs? Another business podcast. Well, actually, maybe it does. See, I've listened to a lot of podcasts, many of which were truly great. I learned a lot and had takeaways that changed my business or personal life. But I often noticed there was no commonality between the interviews as they were wide-ranging, so it was harder to tease out themes between them. I launched Mizzen and Main to bring advanced performance fabrics to traditional menswear. So just like deciding the world needed a better dress shirt when everyone said it was crazy, I decided to launch Founders 15. Founders 15 is a unique new discussion experience distinct in three specific ways. The conversations will be founder to founder, eliciting an enlightening back and forth of two people with an overlap rarely found in other interviews. In my position as founder of Mizzen and Main, I've gotten to have extraordinary conversations with other founders, and I know that there are takeaways that a lot of people would benefit from. So episodes will also feature the same 15 main questions in each podcast, helping bring a continuity to these discussions with appropriate probing on key themes as they develop throughout the interview. Perhaps most distinctively, I'm focused primarily on founders building something right now, and not just the billion dollar unicorns that get the headlines every day. These interviews feature real people building real businesses today. Business titans from years ago offer much to learn from, but my focus is on those in the heart of their journey to build something great. To keep things particularly interesting, I'll also be interviewing a few well-known athletes and coaches, founders in their own right, to gain additional insight and inspiration as to what it takes to achieve greatness. Would love to hear any feedback anytime. I'm on Twitter at Kevin S. Lavelle, and I hope you enjoy these conversations as much as I've enjoyed having them. This was an absolutely fantastic episode, probably because Nate Chekets and I are so much alike and enjoy spending time together as much as we do. We're also on very similar journeys. Nate founded Roan, a premium active men's apparel company that makes honestly the best workout gear in the world. I say that not as Nate's friend. I say that as a repeat customer. I wore my Roan joggers for almost a month straight last winter, and my wife actually thought I was having a mental breakdown. I would come home, put on my joggers, and go about the rest of my day. All of their stuff is seriously that great. What makes this episode special is some of the vulnerability that Nate shares about the challenges of his journey, including a literal life-changing moment where he almost died due to his type 1 diabetes and how hard he was pushing himself, and then also about how he approaches prioritizing his family. I loved hearing how his leadership team kicks off their weekly meeting talking about their company principles on a rotating basis. I know you will enjoy this conversation as it is a really unique view on two founders on parallel roller coasters. Nate, I know we already spent about an hour talking earlier today, and that's part of what makes this experience so great to share these with Founders 15, but I am glad to actually go through this process with you. Thanks for joining us today. I know, man. I'm, uh, I'm excited to be on in an official recorded capacity, this is, I mean, I think it's going to change the dynamic a bit. <laughs> it very well could. Well, um, I know all about you. We've been friends for years and uh, have a really unique experience of riding close to the same trajectory in a very similar industry. Um, but for those who are not familiar with you, can you share a little bit of context uh, about your business and about your personal life? 
Yeah, you got it. So um, Roan is a premium men's active brand. And so what that means, really, it's a, it's a mouthful, but really it is that we make kind of world-class active apparel that can be used in many, many different settings. So in the gym, running outside, uh, at home, on the weekends, um, with your family. And uh, we kind of like to say that our gear excels in the transition periods of your life. And it's been, uh, it's been a great ride. We're coming up on four years here in September. Uh, and, and this is really, for me, it's, in some ways, it's my fourth startup. Um, and I've always kind of been a bit of an entrepreneur, um, but uh, it's this has been this has been quite the roller coaster thus far. I am blessed to be married to a beautiful, wonderful uh, person in my wife, and we have three uh, incredibly energetic boys. So, um, so yeah, that's a that's a bit that's a bit more than maybe you need. No, that's that's very helpful and. Um, where can customers find Roan? Roan.com and um, is kind of is kind of the best place to get a full selection of product. You can also get some curated collections in Equinox, uh, Nordstrom, Bloomingdale's, REI, Berries, and uh, Four Seasons, and, and quite a few other specialty doors around the country. That's great, and. Um, when it comes to headquarters, you guys are based in Connecticut. Based in Stanford, Connecticut, about 45 minutes outside of Manhattan. Great. And then the one question I am not going to forget to ask all the time, if it's not so obvious, <laughs> is tell me a little bit about the name Roan. Yeah, so the name comes from the Rhone Valley, which is this incredible valley in Switzerland and France. It's, it starts at, a, at the Rhone Glacier and then flows down the uh, eastern corridor of France. And it was painted by Van Gogh. It, it's a beautiful region of the world, but it was also a functional trade route. And so what we loved about the name is that we felt like it was masculine, but it represents this marriage of aesthetic and function, which is really how we think about creating product. I've known you for years and I didn't know that. I'm very happy today to have learned the story. <laughs> changing, of the changing lives, one, one podcast at a time. Love it. Well, so you talked about your fourth um, startup, but let's go to, you had the idea that you wanted to do this. You made your first prototype and then you said, go rather than the full backstory of how Roan came to be. Talk to me a little bit about the kind of those trigger points and what made you move from one step to the next. Well, it's, I mean, I've told this story so many times and it's, it gets more and more complex because I think more about it and I'll try to, I'll try to keep it to the high points, but the, you know, the basic fundamental premise is that we, me and my brother-in-law, we were sitting there discussing the fact that it didn't feel like there was a high-end premium active brand focused on men. That The industry had been long dominated by these big players that everyone knew um, that were offering very similar fabrication, similar kind of fabric, quote-unquote, technologies, but really it was cheap polyester. And then you had all the innovation happening on the women's side. And... Um, it felt disingenuous to walk into a high-end women's yoga store and buy gear 
uh, and I, you know, just didn't feel like the brand spoke to us. And so as we kind of moved through and started developing prototypes, you know, the, the thing that was kind of the first triggering point for us was actually doing a photo shoot. So, which I, you know, as I look back and consider it's somewhat ironic, we developed these prototypes. I called my two best looking friends and I said, Hey, I need you to model for me for free. You're going to be cemented in Roan's history books. Uh, but I'm going to fly you out to this location. I've hired a great photographer and we're going to do a photo shoot and uh, don't screw it up because I don't have a big enough budget to hire anyone else. <laughs> and, um, and that when we got the pho photography back and we started showing it to people, the brand kind of instantly came to life and people got what we were trying to do. We had, you know, we had kind of, been raising some money on the side, but as soon as we started sharing the pictures and the brand book came to life, it was a huge turning point um, for us. And that was kind of the initial uh, turning point. And then, you know, getting to a point where we were ready for launch. I mean, Kevin, I can't even explain to you how little right we had to be operating this in this arena. I had <laughs> no retail experience. I had no apparel experience. I had little to no e-commerce experience. And neither did my co-founder. We just had an idea. And we had a category. And that was it. Um, and, you know, I know that... Uh, you, know, you didn't necessarily come from the industry either, but it's amazing to look back and think about how many uh, mistakes we made. But had we come from the industry, I'm not sure we ever would have gotten started. Absolutely. Um, because it, I mean, it's, it is so complicated. And I think that's why so much disruption comes from outside of an industry because industry dogma can be terrifying. Couldn't, I couldn't agree more. And, and we've had these conversations before where, you know, when, when I started, just like when you started, everyone who knew anything about the industry said, it'll never work. There's no way. Um, here's all the reasons why. And it's, well, that's why no one else is doing it. And that's why we have a chance to do it ourselves. Yeah. I mean, it's, I think ignorance can be a founder's best friend. Um, and it's, it's a weird thing to say, but it's really true that if you knew how hard something was, you might be so paralyzed by fear, you'd never even get started. And, uh, and so it's this idea of, you know, you're, you're, you can't figure out why it would be so hard. So you just start moving forward. And because you start moving forward, you start building momentum and progress. And so we went out and we had this challenge between me and my two other co-founders was who can talk to the most people about what we're doing to generate the most email signups before we launch. And we had kind of this basic, uh, page that you could enter your email address um, when we hit the launch button. And I think at the time of launch, we had almost 10,000 emails, uh, which was just, just consisted of us literally talking to everyone we knew. And so the first two months, we kind of came out and we weren't doing this full time. It was all on the side um, in kind of the nights, weekends, commuting hours of the day. Um, I was building our website with a Pakistani developer that I was paying $15 an hour and studying HTML at, uh, at night and not getting much sleep. Um, but, but our launch kind of was, you know, it, it, it exceeded our expectations because we had done this upfront investment in trying to talk to people and get as many kind of upfront emails as we could. 
So you are in a, you were in a particularly unique situation in starting your company with kids. Um, I am so happy, uh, for myself in the way that I operate and kind of the way that my stress level existed for a while. I think I've gotten better, but, um, I can't imagine you've been at this four years and you've got three kids and the math, even if I don't know the age of your kids exactly off the top of my head, it's obvious that you had kids when you started the company and, and they were, um, they were in their formative years too. Um, so how did you, how did you reconcile? How did you and your wife come together and say, we, even though the risks are so great, it's easy to start a company when you're 22 and you don't have much other than perhaps right. college debt, which is not nothing, but it's very different than the obligations of a family. How did you get through that? Well, you know, it, it, in some ways it was worse than that because, um, I had had a failed startup experience that, you know, was not a win by any stretch of the imagination in college, um, while married, but, uh, no kids. I launched a point of sale startup that we eventually sold to the 49ers, but was not a financial win, uh, almost destroyed me just from kind of, uh, a stress level experience and, and so I had gone through the process of just punishing myself for three years, working every possible moment of the day, um, you know, challenging on uh, a marriage and challenging in terms of kind of managing one's health. Uh, I was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes during that time frame. Um, and so, so I had all of that kind of emotional scar tissue alongside of it. And I didn't think I would ever go back to, to starting another business. But the reality is, is I was working at the NFL and the NFL is one of the most amazing places that one who likes sports could want to work. And I found myself unhappy and I couldn't figure it out. And I was really struggling with this idea that oh my gosh, I, I show up to work and there are football games on the TVs and you know, there's uh, AstroTurf as I walk in and like, football is my favorite sport and I'm not, I'm not happy. This mm -hmm. isn't, you know, this isn't where I want to be. And it, I, I really did a lot of self-reflection and self-analysis and you know, my wife is just such an amazing person. She talked me through it. And one of the things that I realized is I'm not going to be happy in a big corporate environment. It's just not who I am. It's not the way I'm built. It's, um, I don't like the idea that there are multiple people who can come in and do the same job as me. Um, and, and there's, there's not enough kind of roller coaster up and down. Startups are like roller coasters. One minute you're flying high. You think you're going to take over the world. And the next day you're like, Oh my gosh, how are we going to make payroll? And, um, <laughs> And if you go to an amusement park and you start riding roller coasters and you like roller coasters, going to anything else wouldn't feel right. And that's how it was for me, even at the NFL, which call it the greatest, greatest kids ride at the amusement park, um, didn't have that up and down. And I missed it so much. So I, I, I had to. I just knew I had to is kind of where it comes down to. But I also was much smarter um, 
this time around in starting a business and the way I approached it than, you know, the, the other times that I had, had, uh, done something like that. Awesome. So the background there has been enlightening for me, even though we've known each other for a while. And I think a lot of people will find much that resonates with them. I'm curious as you've built this company and you've learned so much from the big corporation that you don't want to do yourself. And from a, I know you say it's failed. It's not a, not a total failure, but not the type of success that you would want or feel confident in for the long term with your first startup. As you build Roan, I know culture is so important to what you do at Roan. And it's not just internal culture. It's the message that you deliver in your brand and your product for your customers too. How do you define and defend your culture every day? Not just what are your values, but how do you define it and defend it every day? Yeah. Well, this is something I think a lot about. I mean, I would even say it's the most important thing that we do, and particularly my role as it's evolved. I mean, I thought your article that you wrote about becoming a head coach as a leader is so spot on. Um, and I'll recap it briefly just in case anyone hasn't read it. But, you know, when you start a company, you're on the field, right? And then you kind of become a position coach and then maybe an assistant coach and to the point where you're doing less and less on the field and more and more training other leaders. And so for me in my role, one of the things that I've had to get used to is the fact that I'm spending less and less time operating, which is what I really love, but I'm spending time developing and building um, and thinking a lot about this question. And we had somebody on our team say, this is the, the best thing I could have possibly heard. She said, we have, you know, almost 40 people now. And she said, it feels like there's more cohesion, more transparency, um, more collaboration than there was when there was 10 people. And that's when you know you're kind of uh, on, the, on the right path. I won't say doing it right because we, <laughs> I don't think you ever get it perfect. Yeah. Um, but for me, it's that it's, it's a daily consistent, um, conversation. So every management meeting that we have, we have a weekly kind of senior leadership team meeting. We review our, what we call the own principles. And, um, and, you know, then we have somebody on the team do an in-depth, uh, look at one of those principles. So for us, Roan employees are gritty authentic, collaborative, authentic, and innovative. Did I, did I double one up there? I think I you said think authentic so. twice, um, but all good. We're, re we're really You're supremely we're authentic. Super authentic. <laughs> <laughs> um, but so for example, in our leadership meeting this week, uh, they, uh, one of the people on our team spoke about balance and spoke about how he had developed this acronym around balance. And we shared it with the whole team. And so we do a monthly town hall with all of the team members. And we do the same thing. We go through the uh, Roan principles and we have somebody do kind of a, a little mini training on one of them. And because it's, you, we've got to talk about it and we've got to talk about it again and again and again and again. Um, so that's, you know, but it's never, it's never enough. It's got to be consistent and we've got to like, almost to the point where you want people rolling their eyes 
they've heard it so many times. <laughs> in that in that leadership team meeting, who's in that meeting with you? It's uh, kind of the heads of our departments, if you will, if you can call them departments, but we call them vertical. So the head of each um, kind of functional area. And then in that meeting, you're talking about other things. And then you will also spend some time talking about one of these principles. That's how we start the meeting. Um, meeting. uh, And and we actually rotate. I found that I didn't, I didn't want to be monologuing every single week. So now whoever does the Rome principle also leads the meeting. And we built the meeting format so that any one person on that team can really run it. And I think it's important that there's equal share of voice. I mean, this is something we could do a whole podcast on because I, I spend a lot of time thinking about this one thing. How do you make people feel safe to take risks and to fail and to get better and improve um, every single day? That's, that's absolutely, I, I love hearing that. We, um, we have our, uh, I call it our S team, which I lifted from um, Jeff Bezos. His senior leadership team is kind of the the individual leaders of each of the areas. And then um, we have our L team or our leadership team, which are the then kind of um, team leads because each of our senior leaders has a couple people that um, they work with on a day-to-day basis based on those different, as you kind of say, verticals. Um, we have a, a once a week meeting and it's mostly just a status update meeting, but I I think I'm going to take away spending a few minutes talking about at that meeting, our values and how we are learning from them. I love that. And, and was that something that they embraced or you had to kind of push them into early on? I think everybody really embraced it. Um, and it, you know, one of the, one of the things that I feel really strongly about is that it's not just that we found this like collection of really amazing people and we have great people, like the best people. I love our team, but I'm a firm believer that, you know, there may be people who five, 5% of the population, they're going to do the right thing no matter what all the time. And maybe 5% of the population are going to be bad actors. And no matter what the structure is and what the culture is, they're just going to be cancers and not do, do right by the team. But I think the rest of us, most of us fall into the bucket of in between. And so if we set up the right structure, if we set up the right culture, people are going to do right by their coworkers. They're not going to gossip. They're not going to, um, you know, maliciously uh, kind of say yes to someone's face and then go behind their back and, uh, and, and do something that would be untoward that person. And so I'm a firm believer that if we set the culture right up, and we talk about these virtues up front, that anyone who can be influenced is going to be much closer to the 5% of the population that's always making the right choice. And so you can have somebody who doesn't, who, who doesn't perform well, might even be a toxic personality in a bad culture, come to a good culture and be one of the best team players. And I think that's, you know, that's the type of environment we're going to build because we're not going to be 100% perfect at finding that 5%, it's just not possible. So we've got to get the culture right so that no matter who we hire, they're going to come and be a special part of a special team. It is remarkable um, seeing how people who have spent their careers in bigger companies or more toxic companies come into how we operate on a daily basis. And it's not just that, you know, we're a 
slightly casual company. Obviously we make menswear, but people sometimes come in shorts or sometimes come in hats and just kind of, it's a be who you are, but be presentable and, and respectful and professional. That's the, so many people are so surprised by that. It's like, that's the smallest difference in how we operate every day. <laughs> and, um, I was, uh, an intern is on her way out, uh, after her summer internship and was asking me a few questions. And, um, I was describing to her kind of how we do things here and, and she's trying to learn for her next job. And I said, have you ever seen me yell at anybody? And she said, oh my God, I, I haven't. It's like, it, it didn't even dawn on her that that's not how we operate oh, when awesome. so many other companies, it's such a, like, it's a culture of punishment or you ruined putting... her, Kevin. She she, she's <laughs> supposed to start the other way. <laughs> well, she, um, she has really embraced it and, and, and she's done a great job as, as has our kind of summer class of interns, but it's amazing to see people realize that they're, you don't need to work in a toxic work environment. You shouldn't because life is too short to do so. I will never forget when we moved into our kind of new headquarters, we had hired um, two, maybe three people from the same company. And it wasn't intentional. They'd kind of come at slightly different times. And we were going into the new office and I told them the story of growing up. I grew up in a big family, six kids. Um, my parents would gather us together every single night before bedtime and we would kind of have a brief conversation and spend some time together. And my dad called this area the port, um, just like a port at sea. And the idea was that this was a safe place, that this was, you know, you go out into the world, you have people who will be mean, you know, people will mistreat you, even people that you like. But in our home, in our family, we have this port and it is a safe place. You're not allowed to tease. You're not allowed to poke. And trust me, those things happen well outside of the port, but we knew <laughs> every great. night when we met at the port, there was, there was a zero tolerance policy in, uh, in being unkind. And so I shared that story with the team and I said, I want our office to be our port with each other. And um, there is zero tolerance for speaking badly about each other, zero tolerance. If you want to be constructive, if you want to be helpful, if you want to talk to somebody about how something has made you feel, you can do that directly with them. Um, if you feel unsafe, you can speak to our HR manager or you can absolutely come to me. But there is a zero tolerance policy of speaking ill of one another in our office. And I looked up and two of the three of these people who had come from this one particular company were in tears. And uh, one said, I just, I just want to say something. And she said, I don't know how many of you realize how unique this is. Yeah. And I think that's, you know, it is, uh, it's, we're not, we're certainly not the only company, but I think companies like us think about this because we have the luxury of being able to do that. Yep. And um, it's a, it does make it a special place to work. Yeah. I thought a lot about <clears throat> with my wife being our CMO from very early on, we got to work together every day and, and we could go on and on about the challenges that some people might have working with their spouses. But for, for us, it was one of the best things that we ever could have done in this, in this very difficult journey. But we got to spend all of our time together as, as husband and wife and as family. For most people, they spend more time with their coworkers than they do with their, their family. 
whether yeah. it's their husband or wife it's or kids or, or even their friends, uh, or especially their friends. And so why shouldn't it be a place that you want to go? Now you still need to get your work done and you need to deliver. And sometimes there are some tough conversations, but I've tried to consistently remind myself because I, I don't think I'm ever good enough at delivering timely enough or direct enough feedback and, and always working on that. But if you care about people, you, and you, and you have that position of, of you demonstrated that you want the best for them. You, you should want to give that positive or critical feedback to help them get better. You owe it to them. And it's a tough balance to strike as the leader of the business because you don't want to upset people. You, you build a culture of, of people feeling like this is a good place to be that delivering that negative can some, can sometimes be almost, um, uh, overwhelming to even think about doing, but you owe it to your team and you owe it to yourself. Yeah, there's, there's a lot of truth to that. And I think that there's something powerful about being candid without being aggressive, right? Or um, overly negative. And one of the reasons why I love um, the area of the country that I live is this is a very direct part of the world. People <laughs> are extremely, you know, certainly borderline rude. Yep. Um, but we try and take the best part of that, which is being direct and honest and candid without necessarily having the, the negative um, aggression that can also be accompanied with that. And it is a fine balance. And I don't think we ever get it 100% right, but we try and make sure that we make it a point of emphasis so that, that when we get it wrong, we figure out why and we, we get better. Yeah, I'll tell you one of the most important things that I've started to push myself on is not mediating conversations between people and not trying to yeah, the triangulation. Yep. Just you guys are, you guys are both awesome. You can, you're better off to handle this directly. Um, but it's tough cause I, I want to, I want to keep things smooth. So, um, True. Yeah, we I could probably that. have an entire podcast just about culture and maybe someday we will, but I'm curious, um, back to the beginning. Um, you talked about that, that jump that you made and the difficulty of it how long did you go either with no salary or making, you know, next to nothing, uh, a very low amount that you were, you were effectively putting that down payment into things will pick up. Yeah, it was, a, it was almost a year. Um, and it wasn't, it wasn't that I wasn't, uh, getting compensation. I wasn't full time. So really for the first year, it was a part time nights, weekends, uh, train rides and we didn't have any full-time employees from, you know, probably for the first four or five months. Um, and, uh, and I didn't come over full-time until probably 10 months in. The, what you've been able to accomplish in such a short time, knowing that a good portion of that was not full-time is, is still just absolutely remarkable. Congratulations again. Oh, thank you. It's, you know, the challenge, and you get this all the time too, it's, you know, you, we have, we are victims of great expectations, which is to say, you want to be happy with the things that you've done. And yet you always know you can do more, you know, you can get better. And so it's that fine balance of kind of appreciating the good that's happened and, uh, and not being satisfied with the status quo. Yeah. Many people have said, I have the greatest expectations. <laughs> you do, you do, but it's part of what makes you great. Yes. Many people are saying. Otherwise you'd be doomed to mediocrity. So, uh, the opposite of mediocrity is, is the, 
the pinnacle, the best. And, um, for me, I have found inspiration in, in so many different types of people and, um, entrepreneurs have become in many ways, kind of the new rock star with what's happened in Silicon Valley and shark tank. And, um, I'm curious as you look to the inspirations in your life, um, who most inspired you on this, on this journey to go do Roan? Um, not necessarily your entire life, but someone who, whose influence in your life made this path almost inevitable. Gosh, it's so hard to narrow it down because like you, I, I'm really blessed to take inspiration from so many places. Um, you know, I would say that kind of my greatest business, uh, mentor and inspiration was actually my dad who was, um, you know, had a, had a very successful career and I'm so blessed to have grown up, um, by having someone like that, who's was such a great, um, success in his own industry, but, uh, but was always a father first. And, and so he was kind of, um, on a personal individual level and certainly my wife who just kind of knew me so well that she knew what I wanted to do. Um, outside of kind of those personal connections, there were certainly a lot of entrepreneurs that I spent time with and some were people that I didn't know uh, or listen to. You know, I think we both share Tim Ferriss as somebody that I, 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 I must have been in the first 20,000 readers of his book um, when it first came out uh, because I, it, nobody knew it when I first read it and it hadn't been published that much earlier. But, um, but also I would say, uh, you know, just great entrepreneurs. One of my close friends is a guy named Davis Smith who launched a brand, um, around the same time as me called Cotopaxi. And when I was trying to decide if I could possibly leave a full-time job to go and do this, he, I rem- I will never forget this moment. We were standing in the Ace Hotel in New York and he looked at me and said, Nate, you got to be the one who goes to do this. This is what you should do. And it like struck this deep chord in my soul. And I was like, he's right. It is what I should go to. Cause I was struggling with the, the risk factor. Yeah. And, um, so I've, I've been blessed to have so many mentors. So, um, with the intensity of the risks in your life and with family, everything that's going on 24 seven, how do you stay sane? What are the things that you do day in, day out, small routines? What is it that keeps you grounded enough? I think we're all a little bit off, uh, in the position of being <laughs> a founder, but keeps you stable enough. Yeah, uh, we are off. We're a rare breed. I'm sure. Um, uh, for me, it's my morning routine. I have to wake up early when I don't wake up early, my whole day gets thrown off. So I like to wake up really, really early when it's still, when it's calm. Um, generally, uh, so I can have time with my own, with myself so that I can think clearly through the day. What, you know, what are my priorities? What am I going to get done? Oftentimes there's a fitness component to it, but it's, if I don't have my morning, I'm just not a good person to be around because I can't focus and I feel very scattered and frantic. Uh, so, so that morning routine, and I don't need like 10 minutes. I need like two hours. So, um, I'm very protective of having a early morning start. 
Well, how early is your typical morning? Usually 4.30 is when I wake up. So that's not 4.30 every morning. Is that on the weekends as well? You know what? I used to not wake up early on the weekends. And what I found is that I was then cheating my family because I was waking up and we were going straight into the day and I hadn't had time to kind of reset myself. So now the weekends mornings are as important to me as anything else. Somebody said to me, are you giving your best self, your best creativity, um, your, you know, your best productivity, your best thoughts to your family as well as to work? And that, that like cut me to the core because you know, these are formative years with my children. And um, I've got a nine, six and three year old. And so I had to think through that. And the answer was no. And I think it's almost impossible to say yes when you work the way we do yeah. as entrepreneurs. But I, I have tried to be more protective about that and give them my best self when they, you know, when I'm with them, when we're together. And again, for me, I just know it about myself. I have to wake up early. And so what time do, what time do you, do you turn in at night? Well, I, my, my goal is always before 10, but unfortunately I'm not, I'm certainly not perfect at that. So I, um, I was pushing myself really hard in that same capacity, um, where it was regularly into the 11 PM hour and then going for that 4:45 to 5 AM timeframe. And then, um, a friend of mine, actually the, the founder of Tommy John, um, sent me, um, cause I, I, I share a lot of my, my day to day on, on Instagram stories and it's not every day that I share it, but, um, was kind of sharing how my routine was working based on some feedback I was getting. And, um, he sent me a podcast about sleep and I will make sure to send this to you and I'll link it in the show notes later. Um, the podcast scared the bejesus out of me. Um, the, about the effect of getting less than seven hours of sleep in a sustained capacity over time. Um, and I, I don't know all of the statistics offhand, but my goodness. So I, I still need to, I, I try and get up between 4.45 and 5 um, myself. And it, it's not five days a week and it's definitely not seven um, because I, I allow myself to be lazy on the weekends and sleeping until my son starts crowing at around 6.30. Um, but I'm, sure. I'm trying so hard between 9.30 and 10 to kind of make my way to sleep. Um, and, and that doesn't yeah. always happen, but that's a, if I, if I slip much past 1030, I, that 445 is just so much more difficult and I can do it for a day or two, but man, it really catches up with me. It's hard to sustain. It is. And I, you know, I'm blessed that my wife, she loves to go to bed early. <laughs> so she's usually pestering me, um, to come to bed and she's always worried about my health. And, um, so it's, uh, it is something to be conscious about. I don't wear low sleep as a badge of honor. It's something I wish I was better at. I'd, yeah. I'd love to be getting eight hours of sleep a night. Yeah. It's, it's such a battle and it comes down to that prioritization of everything you do all day long. Um, and then just like you, I mean, I, I only have, um, one son right now and another, um, a daughter on the way this, this holiday season, but the, the time that you get at home with them each day is so short. Um, and so it used to be, you could kind of go home and get work done in a much easier fashion, but, um, <laughs> it just gets harder every day, but in, in a good way, cause of yeah. the great time you get to spend with them. 
It, yeah, and you get you get smarter about where you spend your time. Uh, my wife and I always look at each other and we think, what did we do with our day when <laughs> it belonged fully to us? You know what I mean? And uh, That's a question it's we ask ourselves regularly. To re- to, yeah, to remember. I, I cannot, I lit- literally cannot remember um, what a day yeah. was like. Without... And you don't want to. I mean, you, no, wouldn't, of course. you wouldn't trade it, but it's, it is, it's funny. I used to think I was busy and now I, <laughs> I think to myself, I must have had so much time. Yeah. Yeah. I, and I, I mean, I was never a big TV person. I was never, I didn't go out a lot, especially once I was married. I mean, you're with your best friend. Why, why would you want to go anywhere else? Um, but yeah, we could, my goodness, um, if we could go back and encourage ourselves to read more or do more things that were not such an unbelievable waste of time. Um, yeah. so <laughs> switching gears for a second from the opposite of busy to uh, total freedom, if everything would be okay while you were gone, what would you do for a month away from it all? And it, it it's your question to answer. So if it's the kids come with you for a little bit and otherwise they're with grandparents and doing great or uh, solo, or if it's the whole family trip, what would you do for a full month? Yeah. Well, I, I traveling with kids is, uh, is a different experience. There's always that adage that if you take a trip with kids, it's not a vacation, it's a trip. Um, <laughs> but I do think what I would do if I had a month is I, we would, I'd take the whole family and we would go and live in one foreign city for a month and just try and embrace the city's culture. Um, and there would be so many different options. Uh, but, but that is something that I think about wanting to do with, with our little family going and experiencing a foreign culture in a very immersive way, not going and trying to see as many cities or as many countries, but just going to one place, um, for a full month would be, uh, would be great. And, you know, as Americans, we really suck at this. Like my wife and I went to New Zealand for, uh, 13 days, two years ago. Um, you know, it was really 10 days to celebrate our 10 year anniversary. And, uh, and we pick up hitchhikers on the road and we're, you know, they're like, oh, how long are you in town for? And I'm like, oh, we're here for 10 days. I mean, it's, you know, it's pretty amazing. And, we're, and they're like, oh, yeah, I'm here for a year or I'm here for eight months or, or six months. And, um, yeah, it's uh, it, it, uh, it's something that I'd, I'd one day love to do with, uh, with our kids. Where'd you go to New Zealand? South Island? We went everywhere. I mean, we did, like, the typical American tour, like, hit as many places as we possibly could north south island of course um and uh you know particularly love the south island it's an incredible place yeah yeah i uh that was one of the most memorable trips of my life i had finished studying abroad in, in australia and spent uh, a little over a week in in new zealand and just started in christchurch and drove the entire south island and um i i remember uh, it's actually the only time in my life i've ever hitchhiked there was a really bad storm coming and I went during the winter and, um, the, the ski bus for the mountain, I don't remember where I was, uh, was going to take a while. And, uh, given the extent of the storm that was coming in, I, I there was a real possibility I was going to get stuck. And so I just asked a guy if he would give me a ride back to town. And I mean, it's New I'm Zealand. Sure didn't, I think twice. No, it's New Zealand and it's the safest country in the world. And I, I just, it was fine. It was, um, and I was telling him where I was from and he was asking me questions and he said, you know, if you could do me a favor and not tell anyone how much you like New Zealand, that would be great. We'd like to keep this to ourselves, please. Yeah. yeah. 
It was a great spot. I, the, the Milford Sound in South Island, I think, is the most beautiful place I've ever been anywhere. And I, I, and I couldn't I agree more. I love to travel, and I feel like I've been to a lot of places, but I, I can't, I don't even know what to compare it to. It was just so uniquely beautiful. Truly. I mean, it, it is indescribable. Um, there's, it's nature just in its most pure and beautiful form. And you're so far away from everything. It feels even more, um, it feels even more pure. Yeah, no question. Oh man, I'm missing it. I know me too. And it's been much longer for me. Um, so <laughs> man, each of these questions, we're going to come back and do a full, full episode on someday. Um, <laughs> yes. So we'll call it the Nate and Kevin 15. I, I think it's perfect. And it'll be 15 episodes of one question per episode. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, um, these are how new initiatives are started and why you and I need people to help us focus. So, um, That's right. when you think about, we've talked quite a bit about some of the sacrifices that you, you and your family have made, could you put your finger on what you feel like the biggest sacrifice over the last four years for your personal life has been? Yeah. I, I mean, I try and look at what I have now as just the biggest strength in in every aspect of my life, because I don't think I could sleep at night if I felt like I was giving something up with my family relative to kind of a more straight lined career. So um, I've tried to build my schedule and I try really hard to um, focus my energy and time in a way that I can say, how blessed have I been to be doing this at this time in my kids' lives? Um, And if I can't say that, then this isn't where I want to be because they're my number one and my family is my number one. And they're, you know, I love what I do at Rome, but I'm not willing to sacrifice that. So, um, it's really healthy, but I would say that early on, uh, the, the, the biggest challenge for me was my health because I was pushing myself Mm -hmm. so hard and because I was unwilling to kind of relent uh, the home responsibilities and duties. And because I had a full-time job and because I was trying to do this on the side, I was, you know, six and a half hours of sleep feels like a luxury relative to the amount of hours I was getting at that time. And also being a type one diabetic, you know, it, it takes consistent management of blood sugars. You know, there's so many ups and downs. And so three weeks before we were, maybe it was two weeks before we were going to launch our site. I had been working on the site at night, staying up consistently way later than I should have been, you know, kind of two o'clock and then getting up at six to go catch the train in the morning. And um, I had given myself an insulin injection so that I could get something to eat. But I was so tired, I just went straight up to bed and got in bed. And, uh, the next morning I woke up in the hospital. Um, and what had happened is I had gone into seizures because my blood sugar had dropped too low in the middle of the night and the seizures woke my wife up and she called 911 and I literally woke up in the hospital. Oh my God. Um, and I could have, I could have died that night and had my wife not been as alert and just, you know, as incredible as she is, it would have been the end of my life. And so, um, that was a real wake up call. And I remember, and then my, my brother-in-law co-founder, his kitchen nearly burned down, 
his entire house a week later because the oven caught on fire and he had to move his whole family out. He has four kids, um, my nieces and nephews. And we looked at each other and we were like, what are we doing? We have good paying, good jobs. Like, why are we trying to do something else? Why aren't we just happy with um, a good career? And that was a, that was a challenging moment because again, couldn't feel comfortable with the fact that I was putting myself or my family uh, at risk. Um, but, but thankfully, I would say that my health is probably even better managed now as a result of what we do and focusing on a healthy, active lifestyle. I'm not certain I would be at as many workouts or train as hard as I do if uh, I wasn't at a company like Ron. Wow. That is a wake-up call, unlike few have ever received. That's amazing. Um, yeah. So thinking about the growth of Roan, are there one or two moments that you feel like were inflection points for the company where things really started to uh, accelerate or you had kind of a step change in your growth? I would definitely point to certain um, press articles that we've received. We were really lucky early on to be featured in the Wall Street Journal. And... uh, we were not, we were not ready for the traffic um, or the volume that that sent through, uh, but it was but it was a great opportunity and it felt like what we had went from concept to reality. Um, and then I would point to uh, maybe a couple of hires that we've made. And um, just in case anyone ever listens to this, I won't mention them by name, but we've just had a couple of great additions to the team that have certainly been inflection points in our company's history. And, um, and, but I, you know, I like to think we haven't had our big moment uh, yet and that that's certainly still coming and we're going to, you know, keep pushing forward, even though we've had tremendous growth. Um, it's been more blocking, tackling, doing things incrementally better every single day. And so for the Roan employees listening to this, if you think he's talking about you as a great addition, it definitely is. It is. Yeah. So (laughs) looking ahead, where do you see Roan in 10 years? We are really trying to build a brand that will last for a very long time. And in, uh, it's interesting, I've been listening to, there's a great podcast called Business Wars um, that if you haven't listened to, I would highly recommend not to divert you away from this podcast, which is definitely better. But uh, this one features certain business competitions in history. So Netflix, Blockbuster, Nike and Adidas. And I've been listening to the Nike and Adidas one, which is, I find fascinating. But, it, you know, you think how those companies grew and scaled over the course of their life. I mean, we want to be the prominent player in premium men's active. We want to be the absolute number one player in space. And in 10 years, that's certainly possible to do. Very excited to see that come. So looking back, if you could go back and tell yourself one thing at the start of Roan, and I think you have a unique advantage in that you've had experience in another startup that didn't go the way that you wanted it to. So you definitely carried some lessons forward, but you look back four years and you're just about to start. If you could tell yourself one thing, what would that be? I think I would say enjoy every phase, every phase. Um, because I am 
somebody who's so eager to think about what's next yeah. that oftentimes it makes me miss the present. And, uh, and it's, it's something I'm trying to get better at is to just enjoy, you know, <laughs> enjoy the fact that our first office was an absolute broom cupboard. And I used to joke that we had the right amount of rats in the office. You know, we, we didn't have too many that people wouldn't come to work. We didn't have so few that we weren't being capitally efficient. Um, and, you know, I, in many ways, I kept thinking, gosh, I can't wait until we have a better office. <laughs> but now I kind of miss it. Yeah. And it sounds weird, but um, I think I would just say enjoy every phase. That's, yeah. Um, couldn't, couldn't agree more. We're on our sixth office in six years. Um, and I don't, I, I do and don't miss those cause they had their own challenges, but <laughs> it, any, anywhere you move forward to something always different is going to come along. And, um, yeah, I, I'm going to go back for, for a second to one of the things that we were talking about earlier as we think about offices, you said that you feel like your groove now you're communicating better, you're collaborating better, your group, everything is just in a different in a, almost like a different plane. Where did you see, cause it sounds like you were saying you're coming back to, you really, you found it, things are working better from, you know, when you were back at 10 people, where did you see that tipping point in your culture change where you, you almost kind of like tripped and realized, oh my gosh, we, we need to make sure that we get this right. For, for us, that was between 20 and 25 people. And I'd heard that from a number of um, folks at, at 20 to 25, your culture changes dramatically. Um, and for us, it was a realization right around there that we were not being intentional enough about our culture and how we were, um, handling things. Cause for so long, you know, you could literally just spin around in your office chair and see every person. So, um, <laughs> yeah. did you, did you realize when that was happening? Was there something that happened that made you say, we got to get better at this, which is why you're better at it today? There, yeah, there absolutely is. So, and somewhat ironically, I think we had 22 to 23 people. Um, but what happened is we, so we have two offices. Our company is headquartered in Stanford, Connecticut. We have a second office that's now almost as big, um, just uh, south of Salt Lake City, Utah. And uh, there, we could talk for a long time about the challenges of having two offices. But it's, it's actually become something somewhat of a strength. And so one of the things that we do to kind of make sure everybody gets to know each other is we do these offsites where uh, we will either bring the entire Utah team back east and do something back east or bring the entire East Coast team out to Utah and do something out there. And um, during uh, kind of one of our more recent offsites, we were out in Utah and I there was just enough chatter and I had enough conversations that I was thinking to myself, Oh my gosh, this is going to spiral out of control. If I don't get this, you know, I know what I want our culture to be, but I hadn't put it into words. And I think we all know it, but we weren't talking about it and we weren't saying it and we weren't, you know, we weren't speaking about it. And there, I'm just such a big believer in writing it down and, and making it real um, and getting very clear on the words that you use. And so we had a full day planned of, of meetings and speakers and things that we were going to do. And I canceled all of it. And I took um, kind of the seven uh, core leaders of the team and we locked ourselves in a room for like an entire day. 
And we talked about everything. We talked about the culture. We talked about what our company's why is. We talked about what we wanted to be known for. We talked about what kind of our big goals are. Um, and we, we came out of that room so aligned that it felt different. And then we went and we did um, a full team meeting where we actually broke out into focus groups. And I took each of the leaders and each leader uh, led a cross-functional group to share with them what we had come up with and to get feedback and to make it better. So then we brought all those groups back together and we um, kind of realigned around the mission and then presented it to the full team and everybody signed off on it. We printed it off and, um, and it was, you know, it was kind of a momentum change. And uh, it's crazy because the, you know, at first, from a business perspective, nothing changed. And then it, it has dramatically improved everything. So um, it, was, it was a very specific point in time for me that I felt the considerable shift in kind of our cohesion as a group. Very cool story. And, and uh, when you think about, you know, the, the change in office and if you could go back then, if you could go back to that... Uh, that meeting and realize how important it was pretty cool to think about. I think I know the answer yeah, to and this. I should have done it. I should have done it much earlier <laughs> as, as we all should with most things. I think I know the answer to this given how um, you operate in our conversation, but do you have a single biggest regret over the last four years? <laughs> There's some like basic ones. Uh, like for example, I wish we would have, uh, from a capitalization financing perspective, used inventory financing much earlier. Yeah, <laughs> but that's <laughs> pretty minor. Um, you know, I, I I don't spend a lot of time thinking about regrets. It's not. I, I try and think about learning and growing and evolving, but um, less time thinking about. Gosh, what a big mistake! How could I possibly have made that? That was a really dumb move. Um, and uh, so more than anything, I think I, I don't have one that I would point to. I didn't think that you would. No worries. Um, so on the flip side of that, what brings you the most joy every day? Uh, it's without a doubt, my family. Um, you know, it's not every day is not perfect. And there are a lot of days that are hard, um, but it is kind of this understanding that I am, I'm, I am helping people grow, including myself. And, um, and it is such an incredible thing to watch people grow and develop. And so I, I love that aspect in my family and I love that aspect at Rome where seeing someone grow into their job and doing a better job or becoming stronger in one area is something that I just take so much joy out of, um, is, is just watching people develop. <laughs> Changing gears yet again. What is your most embarrassing professional moment? Uh, so many, Kevin, I am, I, I'm somewhat unabashed about, uh, <laughs> getting embarrassed because it's happened uh, so many times, but, you know, related to starting this company, what happened, you know, part of the story is I was working at the NFL and I had only been there a couple of months. And um, my, my mom, because there's six kids in the family and everybody's married and there's 14 grandkids, when she goes Christmas shopping, efficiency is the name of the game. So 
every year she'll go and get uh, the people in the family pajamas. So she decided my sister-in-law took her to Lulu and she got everybody something from Lululemon and Christmas morning comes around and I open these pants and I had, I was somewhat familiar with the brand, but not kind of intimately. I knew that my wife wore their product and I was like, Oh great. Thanks mom. Didn't really think too much of it. And, uh, and so Budweiser, who's a big league sponsor at the NFL sent some Lulu gear for the women in the office for an event coming up. And they're talking about it like, Oh, lemon. And I'm like, I've got some, uh, I've got some of those sweatpants, Lululemon sweatpants. And like, it was, everybody went dead silent <laughs> in the room. And the, the, it was, uh, I knew immediately I had said the wrong thing. Like, I was like, oh, well, my mom got them for me. You know, it was a Christmas present. I didn't like go and pick them out. And I immediately started backtracking. And the guy next to me is like, so wait, do you buy your underwear at Victoria's Secret? Oh, God. And, you know, the NFL is like a very um, slightly macho. overly machismo yeah. kind of uh, place to be anyways. And, um, but it, it, it was an embarrassing moment and one that really helped trigger a light that there was an opportunity. That's a, that's a, that's a good turnabout. So, um, looking back ahead, um, do you expect to be doing Roan? I know you want to build it into, you know, one of those powerhouses. Do you think you'll do this for your whole life or do you want to build this to a certain place and then do something else? Yeah. You know, I, it's interesting because a lot of people ask this question. I think like you, I'm, I'm sure it's, something that's impossible not to think about to a degree, but I really actually try not to think about that. Um, because what I know is that I want to be growing, developing and becoming every day. And, um, I can't possibly think of myself doing something else, um, where I'm at today. And, uh, but if Roan is in that place for me, you know, eight years down the road, five years down the road or tomorrow, then it's not where I'll be um, because I'm fundamentally committed to becoming and developing and growing. And um, so, so that's what I, I really focus on. And as you think about your, where you want to build Roan to, and that you have the humility to understand that it might not be the right path for you, although we both think it will be, how do you want to be remembered at Roan? How do you want to be remembered over time? I think more than anything, I want to be remembered as somebody who loved people and, uh, and helped building people. Um, it's, you know, it is for me, these moments of spending time with other people that life is what life is really made of. Yeah. And um, so somebody who valued valued people and made others dreams, hopes, goals, fears as real to, you know, as real to me as they are to other people. Absolutely wonderful answer and a perfect way to conclude this very serious portion of the interview as we move into the rapid fire lightning round. Let's knock it out. Oh. So did I make it to the lightning round? I mean, I, I, I don't know how many points I've got on the board right now. It's, uh, it's enough. We'll leave it at that. It's enough. Um, all right. We made it. Made so the just the fastest that comes to mind in these answers, don't worry about specifics. How many hours of sleep do you get a night? 
Well, we answered this. So usually between six to six and a half. What would you use the CRISPR gene editing technology for? Probably uh, curing diabetes, type 1 diabetes. Very good purpose there. What is your favorite fiction and nonfiction book? Favorite nonfiction uh, would probably be How Habits Work. Um, and uh, this is, I'm, I'm a bit of a nerd, but I absolutely love the Harry Potter series. So uh, <laughs> I, could, I could read those over and over again. Uh, what is your daily music playlist? Unfortunately, it's not music. I know that's, um, I, I, I listen to music when other people play music. I enjoy music, but I almost always am listening to a podcast um, or an audiobook. And when I do listen to music, it's, uh, it would probably be you know, somewhere in the range of U2, Coldplay, or um, soundtrack music. Excellent. What is your wake-up drink of choice and your wind-down drink of choice? My favorite drink period is chocolate milk, so I would... <laughs> I would probably take that at, at every point in the day. I did not expect that answer. <laughs> and then, uh, so that's, that's at five o'clock in the morning or 10 o'clock at night. Oh man. I mean, are you kidding me? You can have chocolate milk at every hour of the day. And it's still amazing. That might be my favorite rapid fire lightning round answer so far. Um, what is your, what would your last meal be? Shake Shack. Oh, no good. question. It's good. I I think I even have already requested that. I told my wife if I'm on my deathbed, I think I need Shake Shack. It's great it'll, endorsement. It'll finish, Shake Shack. it'll finish me off appropriately, but <laughs> not the best endorsement for Shake Shack. Went from good to bad real quick. Um, you have a particularly strong pet peeve. I do not do well with bad drivers. So mm. if I'm on the road and yep. people are are uh, not paying attention to the road. It, uh, and I'm a fairly aggressive driver, which I am finding is a common trait with entrepreneurs. Uh-huh. Um, then, uh, yeah, that is, that is something that drives me crazy. It's a uh, George Carlin once said, and I'll, I'll keep it a little bit more PG. Everyone that's going faster than me is a lunatic and everyone going slower than me is an idiot. That's right. Yeah. Uh, so that's you mentioned exactly how I feel. <laughs> I feel that way every time I'm in the car. Um, you mentioned you listened to podcasts earlier. Do you have a favorite podcast other than the one that you're on right now that you've never heard I before? Always, I always uh, listen to The Daily, which is the New York Times podcast um, that will kind of go deep into one pertinent issue of the day, so to speak. Um, and uh, yeah, there, I, I, I mentioned business wars, which I um, really like. I like the mastery masters of scale podcast. Um, there's, there's so many, um, but certainly this one, this would be the top. Obviously. Um, are you a big Amazon prime or Amazon fresh family? Oh, gosh. Okay. So I, yes. Yes. Okay. So what do, would yes. you say is your percent? I hate, of- I hate them for it. <laughs> What is your percent of monthly spend on Amazon as a household? It's it's going down. I'm happy to report it's going down. This is like how you did know, you do that? We're at AA meeting right now. Um, well, <laughs> how did you do that? Off, I <laughs> I have I have made it a point to say to my wife like we cannot. This is gotta stop. It's, it's we're killing every other business and industry in the world when we shop there and it's so convenient. And I was like, 
really early on the Amazon Prime bandwagon. I used to like buy pencils and nails on Amazon Prime when like nobody nobody did that, and now we all do it, and we yeah. buy like batteries and it's uh so one my wife actually likes to grocery shop which i think she's insane um uh but she but you're she happy does about it. like to do that yeah and um and then i just if there's an opportunity to shop at a brand's site i will yeah uh try to do that as well so um what tv show could you watch over and over again even if you're not a big tv guy modern family so good. It's uh, it definitely at the top of my list. I love that show. Uh, other than Roan and obviously other than Mizzen and Maine, what is your favorite article of clothing? I'm just kidding. It's impossible yeah. to answer that. That's everything in the world that's good for us. So of of all of the things that you have, what what do you love most that could be your go-to every day? Oh, I'm really struggling with that. I'm, you know, I'm surprisingly unattached to those kinds of things. Uh, I really love, this is such a lame answer, but it's true. I really love these work boots that I have. It's not lame. That's oh, awesome. I just got these, um, these Taft shoes that I also really like. Yeah. I saw you wearing those. I like those. Um, I will say unequivocally, and my wife actually was worried about me that I'd hit a mental break. The Roan joggers that I got last holiday season were <laughs> were my favorite um, item of clothing, and um, if I honestly wear them at least once a day, they are absolutely amazing. You did you did text me a few times yeah. telling me how much you love those joggers. We need to we need to make sure that you've got more. But I am a proud uh, Mizzen in Maine. Where um, during the school year, I I volunteer teach uh, kids ages fourteen to eighteen about kind of life principles and it's required that I wear a, a shirt and tie for it. So I've got my white vision shirt, uh, every morning at, at six fifteen AM. It's a great thing uh, to do. Representing. That's a great thing to do. And, and you are dressed well for it. So, um, I think I know the answer to this question, but, uh, do you actually love cardio or do you feel like you just have to do it and secretly hate it? I absolutely hate cardio. Yes. I'm so I, happy to I hear that. I really do. I, I like, I, I, when I hear people say that, it's like the people, you know, when I, when my wife hears somebody say that they actually feel better when they're pregnant, Yes, <laughs> that's how I feel when I hear somebody say that they love cardio. I'm like, no, but I know you don't like, let's be honest. You just don't. And I get the good attitude and I'm, we're all impressed, but come on, nobody loves. So for me, I, if there's a ball in my hand or you know, an activity that I can yeah. do, I'll run until I pass yeah. out. But, yeah. Um, and you know, I've run a marathon and I, but it's, it is really hard for me. I have to, I have to force myself. So I'm absolutely thrilled to hear that. Most importantly, would you rather fight off 100 duck sized horses or one horse sized duck? Question. And I thought a lot about this actually, but yeah, I think you took the number up because I think the original time. I've heard this question. It wasn't a hundred. So it may change the answer. hundred duck sized horses or one horse sized duck. And they are coming for you. Duck. It's not like they're just kind of out and yeah, about. I, you know what? I'd, I'd, I'd much rather take on the hundred because like you, you might be going down either way, but like you're going to win some of the battle on the hundred and, uh, and it would be far more entertaining, right? Like, you know, you'd get, you'd, you'd, 
you'd get through at least a good portion of that. The, the horse-sized duck, he may take you out in one fell swoop. So, yeah. you know, that could just be miserable, and you can't even hold your head high. Like, what's your percentage of victory? Zero. Yeah. Yeah, but that's... with 100, like, you can... There's more of a measuring stick. It's it's like the movie 300. You went down you went down fighting and you took a lot with them. That's right. Exactly. So, uh, last two questions. Favorite destination to travel? I well, we talked about New Zealand, favorite country on earth. Um, my wife and I took a trip to Turks and Caicos recently, and I've been to a lot of places in the Caribbean. I've never been to a place like Turks and Caicos, so highly, highly recommend it. And the best gift that you've ever received? The best gift I've ever received would probably, I know this sounds cheesy, but it would be um, kind of my love for poetry that my parents gave to me at uh, growing up. My, my dad used to have us memorize poems growing up as their Christmas gifts. Um, and so I've kind of fallen in love with great words of wisdom and it's, uh, those words have served me many times over. Your, uh, your father's day video this year with, uh, if by Rudyard Kipling was just absolutely, absolutely masterful. It was so, so wonderful. Congrats on a great campaign there. Thank you. So, Thank you. um, I know we share a love for that poem. Of course, of course. Um, so, uh, awesome interview a little bit longer, but I'm not surprised just given the back and forth. Um, we went over earlier, people can find you on roan.com and in some great retailers across the country. Uh, if someone wants to reach out to you or kind of follow your journey a little bit more, what's the best way to follow Mr. Nate Checkets? <laughs> my, my massive social media following. Um, no, I, I do, uh, I do try and post quite a bit about the journey on Instagram. That's probably the only uh, outlet that I'm fairly active on, but certainly people are welcome to shoot me a note or an email. I try to try to respond and, uh, be active where I can. And what's your social handle? It's just at Nate check Excellent. Well, uh, this was an awesome conversation and I think people will probably be able to tell we really do enjoy the time that we get to spend together. And now we've talked for almost three hours together today. So, um, thank within, you for within one of the biggest days of Mizzen's life. I feel guilty for having taken so much of your time. Life goes on. Life goes on. This was, uh, this was a great day. This was the, the day after we launched our Phil Mickelson commercial that went just absolutely viral and in, in a what feels like once in a lifetime way, but you and I are going to keep brainstorming how to make these things happen again and again, right? Absolutely. Well, thanks Nate for the time today. This was great. Love it, man. Hey everyone. Thanks for listening. You can find me on Twitter at Kevin S Lavelle, and you can also go to founders15.com for show notes and other episodes. Thank you. Thank you.